Amen. Thank you, Travis. Good to be with you all. I hope you guys have had a great week. And again, if you're new with us, a special welcome to you. Following service, I'm going to be hanging out over here. Love to have the opportunity just to meet you, welcome you, hear a little bit of your story, share a little bit of our story as, as well. Um, next Sunday is Father's Day. We've got a special Sunday plan, so you want to make sure you're here. And at the same time, we're going to be celebrating baptism as well. And uh, if you've never been baptized, if you have questions about what baptism is, again, I'd love to be able to have a little bit of a conversation with you about that and just what it means to go public in our faith with Jesus. We started a brand new series last Sunday. My good friend Bruce came and helped us get started. We're walking this summer through the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles with you or your digital device, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. Um, We don't have time to go verse by verse through the entire book of Genesis this summer, but what we are going to highlight are some really, really key moments all the way through the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis is Greek. Um, the, the name Genesis is Greek and literally means source, origin, or the beginning. And uh, the way that we think about it from this standpoint is when you read the book of Genesis, and really what we're going to be taking a look at today in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, is the beginning of our time. So this is the beginning of the moment of world history in which time begins from an understanding from our perspective of humanity. So this is the beginning of humanity. This is the beginning of our known world. Was there something that existed prior to our world? Yes, God did. And what we're going to begin in in verse 1, we'll begin to see that kind of begin, that framework to begin to be laid out. At the same time, In the book of Job, we get the picture and the illustration that even the angels were on the scene at the time of which God creates, because it mentions and describes it from the standpoint that the angels worship God in the midst of his creation. How long were the angels there in existence prior to our known world, the beginning of our understanding of time and of humanity? I have no idea. Um, because the way that the Bible describes God is that he's completely out of time, meaning he lives outside of our perspective of time. That like a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day to him. So I don't know. We don't know because time didn't exist in the way that we look at time today particular. Now, Genesis was broken up in two different ways. Genesis chapter 1 through 11, really focuses on the beginning or God creates humanity. And then you see a shift begin to take place in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, all the way to the end of the book, in Genesis chapter 50, focuses on the fact that God creates a nation. He he creates the Hebrew nation and adopts this people group as his own, and in doing so, illustrates to us who God is, his heart, how he interacts with us, and how he desires us to interact with him. And so you see the split, and we'll begin to walk through the split throughout our conversation in Genesis. Now, we're going to try something a little bit different today. Um, we are literally going to read through Genesis 1 in its entirety and Genesis 2 in its entirety. I promise you, you will get out by lunch, okay? So bear with me in that. We will, we will get through this. But there's so much here that is so important. I only have two points today. So there, there's two points. I'm going to make them at the end. 
but this is a little bit of story time with Lee. So I want us to I want us to just focus in. I want us to really dive into understanding Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two. Now, I'm going to actually begin reading from what's called the New Living Translation. Um, why the New Living Translation? Typically, we use what's called the English Standard Version when I teach, when I preach here. Um, the New Living Translation is a little bit easier to understand. Um, it's a little bit more readable, if, if I put it that way. Um, you see different ways in which the ancient scriptures have been dealt with and what we get in our modern Bibles today. You have what are called translations, and you have what are called transliterations. A translation focuses more on the thought and making sure that we capture the thought and that those are carried forward from the ancient languages into our modern understanding. A transliteration is more word for word. Um, and so you, 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 it's, and as a result, a transliteration can sometimes get a little bit more difficult to read because the sentence structure is different in the ancient languages than what we have today. And so for that reason, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation just to make it a little bit easier for us since we're reading through 50 verses of the Bible today. Yes, 50. So bear with me, all right? So let's begin. Genesis chapter 1, starting verse 1, it says, In the beginning... God. Now, let me stop there. In the beginning, God. God was, God is, God will always be. He is outside of time. He was there at the very beginning. Nobody created God. He is eternal. And yet, there was a reason behind why he chose to do what he did. Don't, don't miss this, okay? Again, I, I know I'm pausing here, but this is important. We need to understand that in the beginning, God was there. He, wasn't, he didn't happen by chance. He didn't operate by chance. God has always been. He's outside of creation. All right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Let me, again, let me pause here. I promise you, we will get through this, okay? Some of you feel like that there may be the thing that describes your life. When he talks about the world in, in the beginning, he talks about right there at the beginning of this, that the earth was formless and empty. You, you may be here today, and you may look at your own life and go, man, it just doesn't seem to have any form. It, it just seems empty. What I want you to do is I want you to think about this from personal perspective, from personal terms. You need this God to do the same work in your life. You, you need God to take what may seem formless, empty, dark, and bring light. You need God to bring that light into the darkness to help you understand, help you to try to find true purpose, to pour out your life fulfilling that God-given purpose in your life. He's there. Being the fact that he created you, he created you with purpose. Let's continue on in verse 6. 
It says, Then God said, Let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may actually appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land, and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came, and that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and the trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs of the mark of the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, to separate the light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm the fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and, that it, and that's what's happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good except the cat. <laughs> Sorry, I put that in there. And so, how many of you are dog people? So, how many of you are cat people? Okay, so uh, dog people typically have, an, have a difficult time relating to cats. So, um, cat people have a typical difficult time relating to people. Um, so, guess which one I am. So, all right, let's keep going. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. To be like us, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I, we'll, we're going to get to that here towards the end. I'm going to revisit that. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth of all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals. 
the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. And God looked over all that he made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Chapter 2, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. Why? Did God, was he tired? No. He set an example for us that we can't just go, go, go. It's important to slow down. It's important to enjoy. It's important to just take notice of everything that's around us. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord had not yet sent rain and water from the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed, get this, he formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It says, a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing it into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone were also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Let me just stop there. Why in the world, when Moses captured this, did he go into such detail as to the location of where Eden was located? I think one of the things that God is wanting you and I to understand is this was reality. This really was a place. It was an actual created location in which Adam and Eve themselves, that's where they called home. And not only was it a place that was absolutely stunning because the descriptions, that precious stones, incredible smells, this place is a place of heaven on earth. This is beauty. This is paradise. This is perfection. Not only did they live here, they had the opportunity to experience God there. God lived. He walked among them. Why? Because this was what he wanted them to experience. It was as if God is creating a home and this is his family. And that together they get to experience what perfection looks like from a familial perspective. This was reality. This happened. This was a location on earth. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, he says, you will surely die. Then the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper. That's going to do the laundry, do the dishes. No. Men, men, I'm going to talk to you here for a moment. 
The term that he uses here, talking about helper, is actually a term that you find other places where in Scripture he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that a helper will come. The term that is being used here is used also in reference to God himself as being our helper, one who has the power to come to rescue. This is the ultimate companion. This is not somebody that is there in in terms of servitude just to do what you need to be done. This is companionship at its purest form. This is an essence. You are not whole by yourself. This is God's created companion for Adam. Let's, let's dive in a little bit more here. He says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of one man's ribs... And closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woe, man, emphasis, Lee brought, okay? But woman, because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Let me pause there. It's interesting. When you begin to think about it, Adam was given a job. What was his job? His job is to go through creation naming all the animals. I have no idea how long that would take. My guess is that's not just something you do in a week. Okay, that this is a long job. And how do you like is you don't like look at animals and just all of a sudden come up platypus. Right. Like that's not something that just like I think there's some thought there's some process to all of this that Adam went through. But there's something that God was doing here. And I think it's important for us to, to recognize. Let's say 60 years 80 years. I don't know how long it took for Adam to actually begin to carry out that job. We know Adam was on the face of the earth a long time, 900 plus years. So it's reasonable to think that this was a job that took a long time. Now put yourself in Adam's perspective. Adam's sitting there and he's literally watching pair after pair after pair after pair of animals working together, living life together, now, whether or not that was like God was pointing at him, say, hey, I want you to go on a hike, and as you see animals, you begin to record and you begin to name it. Or if God actually brought them kind of Noah's Ark style in pairs before him, and he's sitting there just recording. I don't know. I just know this was a long job. And you can imagine Adam's perspective in his heart going as he's naming all of these animals, beginning to realize every one of them has a kind like them, but I don't. I don't. Yes, I, 
I, I'm living in perfection. I'm living in paradise. I have a perfect relationship with God. Sin has not entered into the picture. It can't get any better here. Yet, everybody has one like them that they can hang out with except me. God's not like me. I'm not like him. And I'm not like any of these other animals out there. You can imagine the loneliness in that moment that Adam was probably feeling. And it's in that moment that God is looking at Adam and he's looking at all he's created. And he says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to bring a helper. I'm going to bring that companion. I'm going to bring that person that together they can walk through life just like I've created everything else. But this is going to be different. This is special. And out of Adam, he creates Eve. Now, one of the things I think we need to understand about marriage in the marriage covenant is that when Eve is brought to Adam, that was the most precious gift that Adam could have received. That God would actually create and create a companion for him. Adam, I bet you in that moment, is, is worshiping God, but there's also an element, I don't ever want to take her for granted because I've experienced life on my own. Husbands, when it comes to how we interact with our wives, don't take her for granted. Don't just assume that this is all okay. Love her as though she's the most precious gift that God has ever brought into your life. Wives, reciprocate it. Allow your husband to know what you think and how you respect him. Love him the way that God has created them to be as well. Don't miss that. Now, I haven't even gotten to my points. So, first, first point that I want us to not miss in the midst of this. God is good. He is a loving, creative God who creates life, beauty, and order. When you look at the creation story, when you look at how God was operating, all that God was doing in and around, there was a purpose, there was a reason behind who he was and what he chose to do. Everything that he created... He says it was good. Everything from day one to the end. This is good. This is good. Why? Because God in who he is is good, which means all that he does is good. He is incapable of doing something in our world and in our lives that isn't good. And so when we sit back and we try to understand, because we saw like, Bruce did a great job of explaining last week what happened in chapter 3. All that was broken, when sin came into the world, all that needed to be redeemed, that this relationship has been broken, life has been distorted, natural perspective of who we are and how we're operating has all been distorted. But prior to that, when God operates, God is good. And still today, even though we may distort things, we may not understand things, what God is doing in your life, hear me out, it is good. 
even when you don't understand it, when it doesn't make sense, when you sit there and you look at what life is thrown at you and go, how in the world could this be good? God has the power to step in, rescue, and make it into something that is good. The interesting thing when you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, when it describes this perspective that in the beginning God created, the word that is actually used there as being created isn't made. Sometimes I think we think about it as, well, I go and I make a cake. I bake a cake. I do this and I pull this, I pull this, I pull this, I pull this. I put it all together and voila, you have this cake. Maybe good, it may not be, but you have a cake, right? The word that we see there in Genesis chapter 1 is the idea that only God himself could actually do what took place, that he created out of nothing. That there wasn't atoms and molecules and things and elements that existed and that he decided, you know what, I'm going to put a certain recipe together and there it is. Literally, out of nothing came something. He speaks, voila. Only God has the ability to do that. And when he chose to do it, it was good. His perspective is loving. And he was enormously creative. I'm still blown away when I look at creation, whether or not it's walking around or the fish in the ocean. I watch those wildlife stories on TV and the Discovery Channel. I'm just always amazed. Like, God, you created that? Like, it's amazing. The, the imagination and the creativity by which God chose to, to create. Why? Partly for our enjoyment, but also because it glorifies Him. Don't miss the glory of God in the midst of the creativity that exists around us. All of that we see around us in His creation tells us of the world that is to exist even outside of this. It should draw us naturally closer to him. And he's the one that sustains life. He brings beauty and he brings order out of chaos. The second thing I want us to understand is this. God created us in his image. He designed you and I. He designed us to have purpose, community, and relationship with him. My biggest question I have for us as we begin to explore this idea is this. Are you today connected to what he built you for? Are you connected today for what he built you for? I think about it in my, my, my perspective of watching my family. It's interesting. Now, we've got three kids. I've got 15, 12, and 7. My two older ones are bio, our seven-year-old was adopted. But all three of them have had to learn from the very beginning what it means to be a Stevenson, what it means to be a part of our family. Like there's a certain way we operate, there's a certain way we think, there's a certain way we communicate, like there's a structure, there's an order to the way we do family. And there's this constant kind of back and forth helping them understand. For those that are parents in the room, those that have grown kids, you understand this because you've lived it and you're probably still wrestling through these, these moments. But there's certain times, even at the dinner room table, they go, we don't do that. We don't say that. We don't act like that. That's disrespectful. I mean, it just, it's nonstop. 
Let's just be honest. It's, it's constant. This constant drip of helping. We're setting the culture. We're setting the vision. This is what it means to be a part of the family. This is what it means to be part of the, as Stephen says, we, we talk a certain way. We act a certain way. We place certain things as a priority in our life and other things that, you know, it's not so much. I mean, just, just this week, my wife was going through my seven-year-old's room. And she's kind of cleaning and she's looking at things and she finds, you know, that's interesting. Why is that hidden there? And she finds a little bit of kind of trash sitting behind a, 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 one of his kind of bookshelves. And so she kind of pulls the bookshelf out and all of a sudden finds like there's just sucker sticks. There's gum wrappers. There's candy wrappers. There's gross used tissues. Like he just threw them back there and thought, you know what, I'll hide them. You know, even though it was like a short 10-foot walk to get to the local trash can and put all that stuff in the trash can. You know, it's like, this is just easier. I don't want to get bothered. I'm, gonna, I'm in my Legos. You know, so I'm just going to put this. And it's like, how long this has been going on? No idea. But there's a moment there where we have to kind of pull them and say, that's not what it means to be part of the family. Like, there, there's an expectation. There, there's purpose by why we have a trash can. You, you know, there's an expectation. You're going to walk out there and you're going to put it away. Don't be lazy. That's not how we operate here. At the same time, I mean, I find it funny even with my older kids at times when it's like, you know what? Take the trash out. And what is, <sighs> I don't know, you know, and it's just, you get this huffy. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm like, take the trash out. 90% of it's yours anyways, right? It's, it's you because you're the one that eats everything and you bring in all your swarm of locust friends and you guys destroy everything and it all gets in the trash. And by the way, I paid for it anyways. Like, take it out. <sighs> like, this, this is what it means to be a part of a family. Like, we all carry our burdens. We all do our part. Like, this is what it means. Here's where it hits home. You were built for more than you. You were built to be part of God's family. And my fear is that there's too many times that we come in and we just sit there. And God's saying, I built you for more than this. I built you for something way beyond anything you could ever ask for or imagine. And God says, hey, would you get involved? Would you do this? Would you take care of this? And our attitude reflects exactly what we see in our own kids. <sighs> no. And God's like, why? I've taken care of all this. It's all been mine. I shared it with you. I purchased it. I gave my blood for you. This is not what it means to be part of the family of God. Friends, I, I'm, just, I'm saying this because I love you. Too many times, and, and hear me out, I, I've been in church, vocational ministry, 
now for 25 years. And I've seen this too often in our churches. We think being part of the family of God is we show up for an hour on Sunday morning. We can check the box and we get upset when the pastor brings up serving, giving, doing something above and beyond. How dare him ask me to do that? The reality is it's not my family. This is a part of God's family. And there are so many people, and it breaks my heart. There are so many people in our community that are walking through life not understanding the fact that God has created them with purpose, that they've been created in his image, and that he has a plan for their life. But because they haven't connected their life with his life, they still feel empty and void, without meaning, without purpose, just as we saw at the beginning of how God created our world. If, if we don't tell them about the good news of who Jesus is, who will? Who will? See, being a part of the family of God is so more than just coming in and taking up room in a church service. It's about doing our part. There's a reason why we see Paul describe us as being part of the body. We all have a part to play. We all have been uniquely gifted. We all have purpose. We all have meaning. We all have a load in which we're asked to carry, to move this mission forward. And we've described it here at Harvest, like the words that define our mission is simply on that white banner. We're people helping people to know and follow Jesus. Why? Because in the end, that's what matters. That's what matters. And, and I want to invite you to step into that. We're, we are a church plant. And we, we started this church because there are people, hear me out, there are people that are living their life far from Jesus. And if they don't come to know who Jesus is, they're going to hell. That's real. I know we don't like to talk about that. I know we don't like to consider that as an option. Because of what happens in chapter 3, God has brought a redemptive plan to redeem all of creation. And here's one of the miraculous things, is that God chooses to use those who have actually rebelled against him to redeem them and to include us in his redemptive process. That just speaks of the incredible rescuing power of who God is and the enormous love and grace that he, uh, he offers to you and I. So he's invited us to be on this mission. We're not there yet. It is not time for us to take our foot off the gas pedal. It's time to press in. It's time for us to get focused. Our community now and our world needs us more than ever. And here's where it begins. It begins by loving our neighbors right where they're at. Take time to get to know who they are, get to know their name, get to know their story. It's more than just, well, yeah, I've lived next to that person for five years. They're older than me. Do you know anything about them? Do you know their name? 
That's where the loving part begins, looking for an opportunity to begin to open up the door, have spiritual conversation. The, the second thing is I'm going to ask you to get involved and invested even financially here at Harvest. At this stage, at 18 months old, with the amount of people that we have here, if we all carried our dues and we, we participated financially, we would be self-funding. We're still not self-funding. The, the, the Lake Nona campus is carrying us financially. It, we have dreams of planting churches. We have dreams of being involved and invested in ministries in other places of the world. But I can promise you this, until we can take care of ourselves here in the mission here, those things will never actually happen. And so would you help us even become self-sustaining? I'm praying, and, and I would ask that you pray with us and participate with us, that by Christmas, our congregation will be completely self-funding, that we wouldn't be having to rely on the generosity of other people and other churches for us to survive. Um, and so I'm asking you, would you step up and would you help us in that gap? If you've given nothing, would you just begin with something? Just give something. If you're giving something regularly, I'm going to ask you to become a significant giver, which means begin to set aside a percentage of your income. It may be 2%. It may be 3%. Start somewhere. For some of you, you've been at that significant level for a little while. Would you consider becoming a tither? Tither literally means 10%. And so that's kind of a basis of what we see biblical giving towards. Would you set aside 10%? Some of you, and I fall into this trap, I grew up from the time I was six being taught the idea of a tithe. That, so 10% honestly is not hard for me because that's just that's what I've always done. And, and God years ago kind of convicted me of what would it look like to go from being a tither to sacrificial, giving even above and beyond 10%. For some of you in the room, maybe that's the challenge, that God's asking you, hey, would you go from here to there? I, I'm asking you, like, this is what it means to be a part of the family. And again, I'm saying these things because I love you. And I'm excited about what God is doing here now in this moment, but what God is going to continue to do. Because I, I believe this is just the beginning of what we're, we're asking God to do and what God has planned to do in this community and, and around. Genesis chapter 1. You're made in his image. God created with purpose. He didn't create purposelessly. He has a purpose for our world. He has a purpose for you and a place for you to play that role. And we messed it up. Chapter 3 reminds us of that. That's where Bruce kind of focused in last week. If you missed out, I'm going to encourage you to grab our podcast and, and catch up with that. But the great news is God had a plan. He stepped in. He filled the gap. Jesus Christ came to begin the redemptive process. The Bible is 66 books. It's not one book. It's 66 books written by over 40 authors over a span of about 1,700 years. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 1,189. The first two chapters focus in on who God is and the creation of the world and that you were created in his image and that there's a purpose for why you were created. The rest, 1,186 chapters, are focused on the redemptive plan that God has in place to redeem creation back to himself. Over 40 authors, over 1,700 years, same theme. 
That's why I believe the Bible. That's why I look at it and allow it to align and guide my life. God has a plan. He's working in a redemptive way. But it requires us to say yes. It requires you and I to surrender before him. So we're going to pause. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to take communion together in just a moment. Just a, a time for us to remember, a time for us to reflect upon who he is, his redemptive plan for our lives. For those that have placed our faith in Jesus, this is an important moment. This is a time in which we, we slow down. We just remember that God has a plan to take that which became ugly and turn it into something beautiful. And so again, there's nothing magical, there's nothing mystical that takes place when we take communion together. If you happen to miss the elements, they're back on the table again. I encourage you to grab those. But in there, you find a little wafer that reminds us of the fact that God's body was broken for you, was broken for us. And then inside there's a little cup of grape juice, and it reminds us of the fact that he spilled his blood, covering over the multitudes of sins, giving us an opportunity for hope, for new existence, new purpose, a different level of understanding value. And I recognize for some of you, you came in the room and, and this Jesus thing, this church thing may be completely new to you. You, you may self-describe, you know what, I'm on a spiritual journey. First of all, I'm so glad you're here. We, we pray for you regularly. You may not even realize it, but we do. And so we're glad you're here, but I would hate to ask you to take something or to do something that means nothing to you. And so where you're at, you don't, don't worry about taking communion this morning, but where you're at, I'm going to challenge you to do this. Would you just, where you're at today, would you just pray, say, God, reveal yourself to me. And I believe wholeheartedly that God will actually answer that prayer. The band's going to lead us through a song that we just sang just before I came out in the sermon. And I want you to just take some time. I want you to ponder the words of the song. I want you to just thank Jesus for who he is and what he's accomplished. And on your own, feel free to take the bread, take the cup as you feel led. Let me pray for us real quick. God, we love you. We need you. We need your guidance in our life. We thank you for the fact that you created this world with purpose. That you set it together with a certain order and systematic approach. God, I, I pray that we would find our purpose and what it means to be a part of your family. That we could play the role that you've asked us to play. That we can fill the gap. And Lord, I, I just pray for our community, that our community would come to know who you are in a mighty way, that you would use the people of Harvest to build that, to stretch us, and that as a result, more people will come to know the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. In your name, amen. <laughs>